Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. So, as we dive in today, I'm going to just go ahead and, and confess, I'm going to try teaching this morning from an iPad. Now, that's, I'm a little old school, I prefer paper, but it is a resource that I consume every week. So, if this goes poorly, it'll just turn into one of those Christmas memories we laugh about where that time Pastor Jared tried to use an iPad. So, it'll be good, but aren't Christmas memories like part of the joy of this season? Like you, you might remember that one gift or that one family dinner you had. I, I remember probably some 20 years ago that I remember the day that my Aunt Debbie got me a little tiny Swiss Army knife. Now, boys in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was the little thing that had a pair of scissors on the back, a nail file and a knife, and a toothpick and tweezers. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> I see some hands back there, and I remember in that moment, like that was a rite of passage as a boy to get your first Swiss Army knife. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I I remember that excitement, and what's so funny now is now that I'm a parent, I so remember my mom's comment, and I so appreciate her sentiment in that moment. She said, I just wish we would have got him a $10 gift instead of all that other stuff. (laughs) I totally get that now, mom. I didn't understand for 20 years, but I got you now. But aren't Christmas memories part of the fun of this season? So what are some of your favorite Christmas memories? Certainly, they could be bicycles or Swiss Army knives or Playstations or whatever, but are some of those memories tied to when loved ones were present, when you got to travel and meet at Grandma's house or something of that nature? On one hand, we have the beautiful opportunity of memories and reflection, but we also have the opportunity of Christmas planning. Because that's some of the fun and the excitement, too, of getting everything. Yes, finding that perfect gift for that impossible person. That's part of the fun. You have those quirky traditions of funky sweaters, and you got to bake certain meals on certain days. But we're in the process of making plans to make memories. I can't tell you much about our plans. Ashley hasn't let me in on it yet, but I'm sure it's going to be great. But that's a part of the season of making memories, of making plans. And as we continue in our Advent series... We're going to look, and we've been studying the scriptures, reflecting back on Jesus' coming as a king, and we've been seeking to understand how that should shape and transform our lives, yes, in this Christmas season and beyond. And and today in our series, we're going to look and we're going to seek to understand the plans that are in place for his return. You might call it Christmas the sequel. And so with that, I welcome you back to our series, The Newborn King. Throughout this Advent season, we've been seeking to understand and to clarify a little bit what it means that Christmas is really the advent of a king, that this is not just any king, but it is in fact our king in Christ Jesus. How should that change our journey? Yes, through this season, but into the new year to come and beyond. 
we began our series by looking at this idea that the coming of Jesus at Christmas was not a last-minute write-in. It was not a, uh, a last-minute decision on God's part. It, quite the opposite. It was a promise that, that stood generations, that stood thousands of years, and it began at the moment that sin entered the human story. And we can trace that story throughout the Scriptures across generations of God's people, and it was a promise that was fulfilled in the spoken word of a messenger of God through the birth or through the announcement of a birth to a virgin and now that Christ has come that king has been born there can be no other king he is either lord of all or he is not lord at all in our lives and that's the reality the magnitude of what we say when we say Merry Christmas that's the magnitude of the kingdom of God and what took place at his birth and just this past week, Pastor Billy came and, and he helped us to see that this kingdom and this king that has come at Christmas is an upside-down notion. It's no ordinary king. He doesn't operate within the normal power systems and structures that we recognize from our world. The kingdom of Jesus is upside down in that it says the least shall be the greatest. He, he doesn't lord his authority, his power over others. No, he came as a suffering servant Messiah to rescue and redeem his people. It's an upside down reality that we are invited into. And we see that that is to mark our lives as Jesus followers. That we're to flesh out, we're to live out every moment of every day within this upside down reality of Christ as Lord and we also acknowledge that that might not be as easy as it sounds. As we continue in our series today, we're going to take a look at the plans that are already in place for his coming again. The promise of Jesus' return is just as sure as the promise and the plans that were laid out and were faithful across generations for his first arrival. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 40, he said, You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So part of the story of Jesus is that he is returning. Just as he ascended in three days after his death and in burial, he ascended. He is returning and it will be different than his first arrival. He will come in power and glory and might. There is a plan in place today, friends. This king that we celebrate at Christmas, this babe in a, in a straw-filled manger will return to establish his ultimate rule in strength and power and authority. Our teaching text today is found in Revelation 19, and we'll begin in verse 11. And I understand that at first flush that Revelation 19 might not seem much like a Christmas passage today. That it might not seem like where we would have found ourselves in our scriptural journey leading up to Christmas. It might not even feel like a Christmas message, but perhaps it should. Perhaps it should. To rightly know Jesus as king, according to the scriptures, if we want to be true to what the Lord has revealed in his word, we have to embrace his coming and his coming again as one story. Some of you might not yet be convinced. You might be wondering, what are we doing in Revelation for Christmas? We are not the first ones to embrace this idea of his coming and his coming again to celebrate within Christmas. Arguably, one of the most famous Christmas hymns of all time was not written about Christmas at all. Joy to the World that we just sang a little bit ago was actually written about his return and not his first coming. Now, I know some of y'all are still thinking that you've heard me say I'm not into Christmas carols, so you're thinking, do you really know? 
So I brought a video just to make sure that we had it straight. So would you watch with me this morning? While most Christmas carols focus on the story of the nativity in the past, one well-known hymn encourages Christians to look forward to the future. There is one Christmas carol that is unlike all others. That song, Joy to the World, is not about the first coming of Jesus. That hymn is about the second coming of Jesus. Joy to the World was originally part of a book of poems written by the great English hymn writer Isaac Watts in 1719. Based on the 98th Psalm, the poem was never intended to be a Christmas song, or any kind of song for that matter. And Watts never knew that he had just written one of his most famous hymns. A century later, a Boston music teacher named Lowell Mason discovered the poem and set it to music. Because it was released at Christmas time, it quickly became a holiday favorite and went on to become the most published Christmas carol in America. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every nation prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the wonders of his majesty. It's about when he comes again, finally, and rules in power and justice and mercy. hands this morning. Did anybody else know that before this morning? See a couple. So we see from the lyrics of this classic hymn and through the imagery within our teaching text today that the reality to worship Christ Jesus as a babe in the manger is to worship him as the coming conquering king returning to rule over the world. Now, I know that as we dive into Revelation, that, that some of the imagery we find in there included in that text can be hard for us to grapple with, but we must understand that for those who are in Christ Jesus, it is good news. It's every bit as encouraging. It's every bit as hope-filled, all-inspiring calls for worship and celebration as Christmas. The second coming of our King will mean new life. The second coming of our king will mean hope. And as we dive into our teaching text today, I would love to begin with a word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, we desire to know you, the whole story, Lord Jesus, of yes, your coming. Yes, the generations of faithful watchers who are waiting. But Lord, we also want to understand and embrace, Lord, you at your return. And so, Father, as we unpack our text today in Revelation 19, would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to your spoken word today? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we dive into Revelation, the Apostle John is writing, and he's been given glimpses into the unfolding of the last things, glimpses of what's to come at Christ's return. And so as with most of Revelation, our text today is rich with almost perplexing mingling of symbol and reality. And so that's the tension. That's what we're unpacking as we dive into our text today. And so we must hold those two things together as we journey. So let's begin in verse 11 of chapter 19. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider was called Faithful and True. 
With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Even within these first two verses, we can already tell that Christmas part two, or Christmas the sequel, is going to be different. It's going to be different than when he arrived the first time. As we look at these plans for Christmas, the sequel, we were reminded of Pastor Billy's words last week where he says, get used to different. The return of Christ is the return of a divine warrior king. The imagery that's portrayed here in our text is that of a a conquering Roman warrior returning home after a victorious battle. The white horse he rides is believed to be symbolic of honor and authority, justice and holiness. The rider is called faithful and true. And just as God has been faithful in keeping his promise for his first advent, so too he is faithful to keep the promise of his return and the faithful promise of his victory over sin and evil in our world. At his second coming, Jesus' mission is going to be to judge evil and to war against and defeat the forces of evil. At his first advent, Jesus came as suffering Savior, Messiah. Upon his return, he will execute judgment against all evil according to his holiness, according to his nature. This is the moment in the story of God where where all the pain, where all the brokenness, where all the darkness is called to account before a holy God. He will war against the rulers and the principalities of evil that have been allowed to dominate our world, and he will be victorious. Upon his return, there will be no crown of thorns. There will only be the royal crown of victory. The picture of Christmas part two begins to come into focus. Let's pick back up in our text today in verse 13. It says, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. We have moved from the humble swaddling clothes in a manger to a mighty warrior clothed in blood-stained robes. Christ returns and victory. His name is the Word of God, and this is reminiscent of John's word in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, The Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, whom came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, as we unpack our text today, there is no doubt that the victorious, triumphant rider is none other than Jesus himself, and he is accompanied by the holy armies of heaven seeking to make all things right. There is no doubt, friends, that his return is going to be different. As we pick up in verse 15, it says, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. The very words proceeding from the mouth of Christ upon his return will be the conquering weapon against evil and principalities. No longer will the evil be given a foothold, but holiness, righteousness, and purity will have their rightful power and rightful place within our world. 
The imagery of the wine press that John brings in here is reminiscent of Isaiah 63. And if you would turn there and study, we, we're not going to dive into it today, but it was the portrait of a man. And, and in the winemaking process, the men or women would get into the wine press and they would stomp and tread out the grapes to mash them down. And that was, in Isaiah's time, that was an image of how God was going to deal with unrighteousness and evil in the world. That was the imagery that he put forth. And so as we are beginning to come to the end of our text, we see Jesus adorned differently this time. There's no more canceled reservations at the end. There's no more subtle entrance. No, there's something different happening at his return. Let's conclude in verse 16 today. He says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As if he was named as a high-ranking military official, Jesus is known here upon his return as the rightful king, the rightful Lord of Lords, King of Kings. A title and, and, a, and a knowledge that conveys the truth. There remains no kingdom, there remains no power, there remains nothing that is not under his rule upon his return. The victory is won and Christ is king. Christmas the sequel is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little different. Throughout this text, we see different themes through the imagery that John has been given, that he has communicated to us. We see themes of victory. We see themes of great power and holiness. The righteousness of God is made known in a new way, and we see the judgment and the power of God coming to earth in a new way. And as followers of Jesus and students of the scriptures, we're kind of stuck within this tension, aren't we? We're stuck within this tension that the images of Revelation 19 of a mighty warrior are of the same Jesus that we see born humbly in meekness in a manger in a stable. We're stuck in that tension of holding those stories together because they're not two different people. It's not two different stories. It's the story. It's the one story of who Christ Jesus really is. The newborn king that we worship at Christmas will be the returning, conquering king and will cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he alone is Lord. So if we desire to properly see, if we desire to properly understand who Jesus is and what Christmas really means, we must see this and we must embrace his coming at Christmas. We must consider his glorious return as conquering king. And we must find ourselves within that story today, friends. That's the story of the Jesus we worship, of the one we adore. It's part of who he is. It's part of the story that we live in. We cannot have, we cannot have the babe in the manger and yet neglect or reject his return as conquering king. They are one in the same story. You might really be wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? What, do, what does this change? What does this change at Christmas? Besides getting our theology right, which that is important, if we're going to say we're followers of Jesus, we need to know who he is and what that means and what story that we're living within. And so, yes, that piece is important, but why else might this be important? What is it going to change this Christmas? I propose that that answer might be a little bit unique for your story and your walk with Jesus today. 
But I, I would propose there's one very profound way that this is going to show up in all of our stories. As we understand that the coming babe in a manger is the returning conquering king, we can find hope. We can find hope. I, I know that, that sometimes hope is not the word that comes to your mind as you're reading through Revelation and, and wrestling out and teasing out some of that imagery. But the return of Christ is good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is good news for those who know Him, who love Him. Jesus is returning to war against and to be victorious over all evil and all of its cousins like sin and pain and sickness and death. He's coming to make all things new. Listen to the words in Revelation 21, just a couple chapters ahead of where we are in verse 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne room saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Friends, the world we live in is the old order. And there's a plan where the brokenness and the sin and the pain that grips our world is going to be dealt with. And it's going to be dealt with by the babe in the manger returned as conquering king. It's something we can find hope in. And I think that matters because I know some of the stories that are in the room even this morning and some that are going to walk in later for second service. I know there's brokenness and pain in this room. Hearts that are bearing the burden of grief from loss of a loved one. Real tears are shed as you reflect on Christmas memories because someone was there then that's not now. That's real. For some, this Christmas might be spent in a hospital. It might be spent at a long-term care facility. There there might be fracture within our families that, that we're not getting together because we've had a fallen out. That pain and brokenness is real. There are countless sources, countless reasons for pain and grief in this old order as Scripture calls it. But the gift of Christmas, yes, the gift of Christmas is that we have a king who is present with us right there in the middle of those painful and burdensome places. We're not alone as we journey. But the hope of his return, the hope of his return is that one day he will give victory in a new way. He will give resurrection life to all of those who call him Lord and Savior. It will be a new thing. Can you just imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment what that's going to feel like, what that's going to feel like not to bear the burden of tears, not to bear the burden of grief, not to have a broken heart, no more broken relationships, none of that, because all things have been made new. How's that going to feel to know Christ in that way? 
the relief, the excitement, the overflowing joy of living in the holy presence of God for eternity. What will that feel like? We can't comprehend a world without sin and brokenness. But the second coming says we have hope that there will be a day for those in Christ Jesus to experience resurrection life in a world that is free from sin and death and shame and pain and brokenness. As the band begins to make their way, there's a reason for hope today. Amidst all of the things, all of the news, the stuff on social media, there's a reason for hope. There's a reason for excitement today. Yes, in this Christmas season. I I know that there's many of you that are very passionate about Christmas. And yes, we celebrate the hope of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior at his coming. And yet we understand it's his return. That's what we celebrate. That's the call to worship. I, you know, I, I remember as a kid, and oh boy, if y'all ask my parents, you'll get more stories than this, but I remember as a kid, I, I was so focused and so excited about Christmas, I was determined to figure out the Santa Claus thing, right? Like, I had to know. It was that age, like, it's starting to get a little puzzles, you know, scattered out. I really needed to know how Santa Claus was pulling this off. So my plan was to purchase several caffeinated sodas from the store and to drink them before bed in hopes that I could stay awake and catch the event happening itself. Now, I don't know what happened. Apparently, I didn't consume enough Mountain Dew or what have you because I didn't make it. And to this day, I still don't know what happened, so don't ruin it for me. But you see, even in that age, I I was focused on a little bit of the wrong thing. Yes, there's a lot of fun in Christmas memories, especially for kids. There's a lot of joy in those things, in Swiss Army knives and bicycles and trying to drink soda to catch Santa Claus. Like, there's a lot of fun in those things. But we can't miss the real joy and the real story of Christmas. Yes, his coming, but yes, his coming again. We run the risk of getting caught in superficial things, of the shopping and the presents and the decorations, and we can miss it. We can have the great dinners and all the fun but in open presence, but the next day we're left with a giant bag of trash and a credit card statement that makes us cringe. And somehow within that, we've lost the real gift of hope. Because if we pull Christmas out of its context, if we pull Christmas out of the greater story of Jesus and his return, we've given away the hope that we have and that we celebrate at Christmas. Friends, we know there's more. We know to know Jesus as king and to celebrate his kingdom is so much more. And this Christmas, friends, I invite you to engage the celebration of the newborn king. Yes, let's remember and celebrate his coming in a manger as suffering Messiah. But let's also stand in that tension of knowing that sense of urgency that we have of his return. Because, friends, that sense of urgency is for our family. That sense of urgency of his return is for our coworkers. It's for those who don't know him. Because his return is going to be a whole different story if you're not a part of his kingdom. And so that points to our mission today. We, we say as the church that we're transformed by God to bring hope 
hope to others through Christ Jesus. I invite, and you might even say, especially at Christmas time. I invite you today that your Christmas would be marked with hope. Yes, hope for your life and for the burdens you want to see Him resolve, but yes, that it would be marked with an anticipation and an urgency to share that hope and the good news of what Christmas is all about. I pray this year, friends, that our Christmas is marked by hope. That those places of pain, those places of burden, that maybe only you know, would be tenderly, graciously embraced by the King who is suffering Messiah and conquering King. For He is with us. And He is returning. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we want to know You. Lord, we want to know You. Lord, we, we want to know the story of you in a manger and your, your humble entrance, Lord. And, and God, most of the world missed that. But Lord, what you have revealed in your scriptures is that your return, your ultimate victory, we're not going to miss it. Nobody will be questioning what happened. Nobody will be left wondering if Jesus came back. No, we will know because it's going to be different. And God, as, as we profess you as our Lord and Savior, as we celebrate and receive your hope and new life, Lord, we have hope of your return. But, oh God, will you give us a sense of urgency, Lord, for those who don't have that hope, who might not even understand to grasp and, and embrace the truth depth of Christmas. God, will you do a new thing in Christmas 2021? Lord, give us a hunger for righteousness. Give us an anticipation and a longing for your return. And Father, I pray that as we step into those opportunities, that Lord, you would give us divine favor to speak of your great grace and mercy and yes, the hope that we have in you, Lord. We want to worship differently. We want to worship differently, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And it's in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.